This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and with me, as always, is Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey. Hey. And this week, it's, it's, we've, we've, we've blown our budget, we've, we've rebuilt, uh, we, we pulled all the LCD widescreens out of storage, uh, uh, we, we've, we've got all the toggle switches, and the low bulkheads, we've rebuilt the Enterprise set because uh, this is the big crossover episode with Warp 5. And so joining us today from Warp 5 is Norman Lau. Greetings and salutations, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited oh, to have you. Yeah. yeah. You've, so, you've dropped out of Warp 5 and, and now you're in standard orbit. Okay. Oh, that's, oh, see, there we go. Good, oh, good wow. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like, what, what's what's going on here? What kind of uniform is this? Saval with a beard. Where's my personal guard? <laughs> so today, way we... to immediately blow your cover. <laughs> so today, we thought we would talk about uh, an episode of Enterprise, which is spiritually very close to the original series, and that's in a mirror darkly. And we thought we would look at it from the perspective of TOS, first as a sequel to The Tholian Web, and then as a prequel to Mirror Mirror, and a few other things thrown in there. So, yeah. so okay, well, this episode gets started, and, and the, uh, the very first thing that we see is um, the uh, um, scene from First Contact, where they make first contact and they did not scan that film very well no nope, and it is in the wrong aspect ratio which <laughs> bothers me immensely but what can you do it's consistent with this it's thing. a little bit of an eyesore in the blu-ray when it converts so yes yeah. yes you can tell the new footage of the random people in the background <laughs> yeah who's that guy with the beard <laughs> yeah he's it's really crystal clear the rest of it's really not and we see Zephram Cochran take out a gun and shoot the first Vulcan. And uh, chaos ensues. So what did you guys think about that as uh, an opening to this episode? Norm? Well, it was an interesting concept because this is the second time that you saw James Cromwell play Zephram Cochran on screen in Enterprise. You had him in Broken Bow in like the first 10 minutes when he's talking about um, as Zephram Cochran talking about what he did on the very site where he shot that Vulcan in Bozeman, Montana. So um, it's a neat, it's a neat bit of um, of fan service there because we're like, well, this is first contact and everything's hunky dory and there's the Vulcans and there's the live long and prosper salute. And then he's about to do that whole, mm, here's a handshake. Here's an earth handshake. And he reaches for the shotgun. And then you're like, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, it, it took you by surprise, but it, in a, in a weird kind of interesting brain 
warping kind of way because you don't know what's going to happen. And then it goes into that really awesome credit change, which um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, it, it set a good tone in my opinion. But technically, they could have done a better job in um, converting, upconverting that film because it did it did fu- it fuzzed out a lot uh, compared to the to the quality of the rest of the episode. What did you think, Drew? Um, I I I like. I don't understand. Like we talked about on the other side of the orbit, uh, which I've never said before and probably will never say again. <laughs> the other side of the orbit. <laughs> uh, it's weird how much they put into the second to last episodes of of this series. Like they they know it's ending, and they're like, okay, you know, we've we've been saving our budget. Let's get someone with the same build as James Cromwell and put him in. Like, I don't know, maybe they maybe they went and found his costume and just put it on somebody, or they managed to replicate every layer because Cromwell's wearing like nine layers of clothes as as Cochrane. It's like, oh, you know, let's do all this and let's design a a phase shotgun to to shoot these guys and and then it's really weird that Cromwell's not leading the attack because it's just some random guy like take their ship shoot them all because they couldn't get Cromwell to come back to just shout hey let's do this yeah I mean I I liked it uh conceptually I thought it was it was really cool um I mean I I don't know where you guys were at you know when this thing I mean Norm did you watch it when it aired yeah I watched it um all four seasons in its initial run, yeah. So you knew that this was going to be the Mirror Universe episode going into it. Well, I mean, the way that the the way the social media was at the time, it was still kind of it was still growing, and and everything was evolving in terms of information sharing. But for the most part, you could tell that UPN was dialing down its marketing for it. It really didn't appear in any of the trade magazines anymore. Even going into the end of season three, we all know that Stormfront was. At the end of it was really trepidatious with the the choice that they made for that ending. So yeah, it was um it was it was interesting that you didn't really just have any presence for Enterprise anymore. And then when something like this came, it was surprising because it looked so expensive to do, and yet you know that they didn't probably have the nest egg to go forward with any further seasons. So you're like, why this choice? Why now? Except for the fact that if they knew, there's that old adage: if you're going to go out, you go out swinging. And maybe this was maybe this was that attempt, or maybe they were like, well, if we do something really extraordinary here, we might get a shot at a fifth season. There could have been that. There, there might have been that. Yeah, I think it was more, you know, the the former. Uh, but with with this particular thing you know i mean like i knew because like you know there were there were you know websites and stuff like that which were out there like trek today i think was kind of the big one at the time and you know so i knew that this was going to be a mirror universe two-parter and when i i'm seeing this i'm like are they doing this thing are they really doing it? and then they do it and i'm like yes bravo i'm i'm so glad that you guys you know did that and it really kind of set the tone for the episode because i really see this episode as a comedy. I mean, this is a, a comedic episode. It it may be dark and everything like that, but you can't take any of it seriously. You know, I mean, it's all sort of like one big in-joke, and um, I, I appreciate that. You know, it is kind of an episode which is made for the fans. Um, 
very very much so you know they threw out like everything that uh logically would make sense in terms of telling a story uh, dramatically and, and everything like that and they're just like screw it this is what the fans want to see and that's kind of like how i see season four of enterprise on the whole is they were just like we're going to do what everyone wants us to do and we don't care because what are they going to do cancel us and <laughs> and that's why i think season four is so good because they were just like we don't care we're going to do what we want and like a lot of people i know say i mean this is sort of what everyone says like damn i wish they would have gotten to season five because look season four is where it really started to get good to me that that doesn't actually hold up because if they knew there was a chance for season five they wouldn't have done half the stuff they did in season four and hmm. you know i'm i'm glad you know it, it makes me happy that it's well for one thing it's like i mean if there was a season five of enterprise i'd be like yeah that's cool whatever but it makes me happy that, um, or let me put it this way, I am more than willing to sacrifice season five of, you know, average Enterprise in order to get a season four of awesome Enterprise. Well, I mean, not to go too off topic, um, but if it weren't for the risks that they took in season four, uh, specifically the Babel arc with Babel 1, uh, the United, and the Anar. That that was kind of like where I thought season five was going because you now we're introducing like that really strong Romulan element, the paranoia of the Romulan drone program, and now the coalition of planets being formed. So now you can start sprinkling in like a little bit more of Andorian storytelling, Tellarite storytelling, and especially um, Shran because we knew that if there were a season five going forward that Jeffrey Combs was going to come back in as a, um, a basically a permanent cast member now. Yeah. So there's there's that. Yes, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, they did make some huge storytelling strides in four. But would they have been able to do that if they didn't feel like they could just take that risk because they knew what was going to happen? So it's kind of like a catch twenty two there for me. Yeah, yeah, that's how, that's how I see it too. But with this episode, I mean, this kind of like to me, it's like the prime example of of that sort of philosophy or whatever where they really did throw everything into this one and even though we all knew that it was going to be like a mirror universe episode we i don't think really knew that it was going to also be a sequel to tholian web at least i didn't um but okay before we get into that you know norm you touched on the the opening credit sequence what, what did you guys think about that where it was redone uh, for the mirror universe, as if you were it, existing in the mirror universe watching Enterprise. It's my favorite part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like the, uh, the you know, well, if we're going to do an episode in the mirror universe, we don't really want to have the, you know, faith of the heart. It's kind of, I mean, don't, you can argue back and forth whether or not it fit in with Star Trek at all, but it's really not going to fit in with an episode you know, bordered on each side by, you know, people murdering each other. So uh, I, I like it. I, I think it's really, it's clever. And if they were going to go all the way, that's 100% of the way right there. What, what about you, Norm? No, I agree. I agree, Drew. It's if you're going to create this theme of, a, of an episode, you have to take it all the way to its studs. And I think it is the only time that's in, in the four seasons of Enterprise that you actually did have a, a full orchestral theme song. 
albeit that is not the the type that you would have heard in Deep Space Nine or Voyager and Next Generation, but at least it it is something that I believe that the showrunners wanted to do, and and now the fans had that feeling of oh this is Enterprise with an orchestral theme opening that's amazing, but then you saw some really great imagery in there. You saw basically the course of history as it would have appeared from the imperial side the um all the different types of warfare you saw a really nice snippet of uh of a shot pulled from red october uh where the kanevalov was destroyed um that's a, that's i wonder where that came from yeah. i was like that's red october isn't yeah, that's it? a little bit of an easter egg because it's a it's a paramount clip so they could use that and then uh for, but for me though one of the coolest things was you saw the iss enterprise being flanked by two um, warp deltas uh, in an attack sequence and again we're taught when you when we're taking it from um a budgetary and a show running point of view, um, you know, to take it from the side of a, a production, those shots too cost money uh, to do. Yeah. So everything in this show, when, when you, the fans or the listeners take a look at this, a lot of this is new and a lot of it's expensive. And they actually did have a serious purpose for doing this because a lot of man hours were involved to produce this show because you just can't pull anything or reuse anything, repurpose anything for the most part. And that that took planning and it took sign off and it took approvals and it took departments to do. So this wasn't really, I mean, for for however you appreciated the show, it still had to go through the normal show running approval process to get done. Yeah, yeah. even if the writers felt like, you know, well, we'll just throw everything out and see what happens. I mean, they still had to get this approved. Like, hey, hey, UPN, uh, you know, can we rebuild all the original series sets and, you know, not be able to use any of our stock footage of the Enterprise flying by? Uh, I'm sure, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this this is where, you know, it would be nice to have, like, an Enterprise companion book or whatever, which we never got. And um, I, I have a feeling what they did was sort of you know, lay, mapped it out so that they had a, a good chunk of change saved up for this particular episode going into it. You know, I think everyone knew that what they wanted to do was going to be very expensive, and I think they planned for that throughout the course of the season. That's just my guess, but... Uh, you know, Mike, I wanted to touch on something that you said before. You said that um, this episode, they, they were doing everything right by the fans, and in my opinion... This was the true Valentine to Star Trek fans and especially original series fans far more than these are the voyages ever will or would be because the way they treated these are the voyages first as a solo episode was it was the wrong strategy. And second, it just didn't really touch on the same touchstones that this episode does or this two part does because when original series fans who, who by and large are kind of like the, the fans that probably would have enjoyed Enterprise the most because this is supposed to be the progression into the original series. You're waiting for those moments to happen. You're waiting for the, do we get to see the phase pistol turn into a phaser? Do we get to see spatial torpedoes turn into photon torpedoes? We did with photonic in a way. Do we get to see hull plating turn into shields? You know, so do we get to see a secondary hull get put on the NX-01? These are the moments we're waiting for. And this episode does that better than, for the fans than these are the voyages did just in terms of getting that spirit across like saying thank you this would have been a better send-off in my opinion uh than these are the voyages 
Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, who was at the helm behind the scenes and all that stuff. I mean, even Brandon Braga has admitted that Manny Cotto is much better uh, suited to running Enterprise than he was. But if you think about these are the voyages, and I don't hate these are the voyages nearly as much as as most people do, um, but that was Berman and, and Braga's baby in a sense, you know, and, and I think that, you know, I mean, like they've said and everything, what they were really trying to do was um, make this sort of a, a finale for all of Star Trek in the next gen era. And when you think about, you know, Brandon Braga talking about how he basically has never watched the original series and Rick Berman, <laughs> obviously being the guy who, you know, is responsible for, the next gen era. I mean, what they see as Star Trek is 1987 on. And I, I don't think that they made the right choice necessarily, but I understand the choice that they made because that's the perspective that they were coming from. And I think that you're probably right that if they would have had maybe the same exact concept, but they would have brought Kodo into the process and, and sort of had him, uh, write that you would have gotten something which was a bit more comprehensive. You know, it's it's just weird to me to have the last three episodes of your series not actually feature the actual versions of your characters. Well, there was a couple in there, too. In the there were there was what like the two parter in between in a mirror darkly and these are the voyages. And, oh, yeah. okay, and that good. yeah, and that was the um that was the 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 arc that fans really thought would have been a more suitable ending it was demons and terra prime because then you started bringing in the aspect of an earth first type movement with john frederick paxton played by uh peter Robocop. weller which was oh, yeah. so good he was so good at it and then eventually became admiral marcus because section 31 repurposes our actors that way you know but oh. uh <laughs> but yeah there was um there was this really just interesting kind of steady decline after in a mirror darkly because it was kind of like the Daniel Monk, if you will, without the, a real um, delicious ending. It, the the uh, I'm not, I'm not going to belabor that the, these are the voyages, but in a mirror darkly one and two, because there was a spiritual progression from the Tholian web and mirror mirror. Obviously, this was really kind of like the okay fans, we owe you this in a way. We owe you all of these fan service moments. Some of them went a little too far, and some of them were right on the money. And then you wish you got to, you were able to see uh, just even some in a different direction because there are still some aspects of the mirror universe I would have liked to have seen explored uh, from the Enterprise from twenty one fifty one. So I think that overall it was it was a bold choice, but I think I agree with you, Mike, in that point where would it have served moving into a season five? I don't know. But knowing what they knew, they knew that they had to do something just to at least give the fans one last gift, if you will. Yeah. Okay, so so looking at this now from... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Just one more thing. I, I, I had always noticed that shot from Hunt for Red October, and I was always like, oh, look, they stole that from Hunt for Red October. And I always thought of it from the sort of you know production perspective of like, oh, well, that's a Paramount movie and blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking oh, about no. it today and doing oh, that no. thing that I do because it's me. There we go. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I actually tweeted this out. I'm like, hey, um, 
The Jack Hunt Ryan for Red October takes place in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, the Jack Ryan movies are in the Mirror Universe. Well, that makes a lot of sense, actually, <laughs> when you think about it. So Ah, so that means 24 in the Jack Ryan movies take place in the same universe. Absolutely, 100%. So Alec yes. Baldwin's in the Mirror Universe, but Harrison Ford's in the Prime Universe or the right universe? Is that what we're saying? Ooh. No, I guess, I guess it would be Ben Affleck was in the Prime Universe. <laughs> And then in the JJ verse, it's uh, you know Chris Pine, of course, because of course that's how it goes, right? You know, that's that's how the JJ verse works. Um, yeah, but no. Um, so okay, so Tholian Web. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a bad Star Trek fan, and that you know I don't pay attention to season three of the original series, even when the episodes aren't that tremendously bad. Get him, Andy. Um, get him. Get him. <laughs> so um when i was watching this you know and you see the defiant and everything like that i always thought like well that's just i mean i didn't get the references i mean and i saw the tholian web and i'm like oh look tholians because they're throwing everything else in there why not tholians but i didn't realize until like the second or third time that i watched it that this was actually a sequel to the tholian web which is why I shouldn't be hosting this show. I've, <laughs> I think I've got that beat. Okay. So I I didn't see the episode until a couple months after it aired. My dad had taped it for me and was just like, you got to watch these episodes. And I'd never even watched anything but Broken Bow. So it was really interesting to go from Broken Bow, you know, watching it live to three months after the series ends to watch the Mirror Universe episodes. You're like, you're but, like, uh, whoa, man, I heard season three got dark, but this is crazy. <laughs> it got darkly. <laughs> oh. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the description, I remember reading the description and being super confused because it was like, you know, next week, and this was before it aired, you know, next week, uh, you know, it's a Mirror episode and they... Uh, Archer and them find the Defiant mm-hmm. in the past. And so for a while, I thought that Cisco's Defiant had traveled back in time. Yeah. And I'm like, what on earth are they going to do? I mean, these Enterprise people, it's like 300 years in the future technology. They're going to have cloaking devices. They're going to have quantum torpedoes. They're going to have ablative hulls. They're going to have all this incredible technology. And then it's like, Oh, oh, the Defiant from TOS. Oh, a constellation oh, class ship. Uh. Oh, <laughs> now I get it. You know, but for a while I panicked because I was like, "What? Would they even know what to do? Holodecks and all that kind of stuff." You know, like watching this this episode. You know, I was thinking, like, man, you know, why didn't they do this on Deep Space Nine? Kind of getting off topic here, but why did they not have the Deep Space Nine Defiant be? NCC seventeen sixty four E or something like that, right? Right. Anyway, it doesn't because the Enterprise That's is the only special nerdy. one that right. was. <laughs> no, because Roddenberry threw it down. The only ship that can keep its registry number is the Enterprise. That's stupid. They should mm-hmm. throw that out. All yes, right. it should. Um. So okay. So here we have the Defiant, and now you talk about the the um advanced technology and whatnot. And that's kind of a thing which this episode has to deal with, where they're like, they go on to this this ship and they're like, oh my God, look at how advanced this technology is. <laughs> and it's Look all, at the static screen yeah, above the ship. It's look at great. these dials, you know? I've never seen dials like this before. This is crazy. You know, and the it's all 40 years old in terms of set design. Right. Now, I, 
to me that I always saw that as part of the joke. You know, I mean, you can't take this seriously. And I know there are fans out there who are like, yeah, look at how advanced it is. Oh no, that's just weird. You know, and I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, <laughs> see, and, and this is the great thing about this episode for me, because you have to be able to accept what is real and accept what should be at the same time when you're watching this. And you have to let, you have to let that just, um, gel in your brain and not fight it because you know that when they designed, when Doug Drexler and his team designed the enterprise and Herman Zimmerman, they had this huge challenge of how do we take this vocabulary that everybody knows of the original series and go back a hundred years and make it look like an evolution process between NASA 2151 and then the 22nd century. Uh, I'm sorry, the 23rd century. How do you make that believable and still respect Matt Jeffries and still not insult the fans and make it all work? And I don't think you can. That's, I think that's just the reality of it. You just can't. So going back into, into the way that this episode was, was crafted, you, know, you still have to realize that they're still paying a lot of fan service to Mirror Mirror first in the first two acts, I believe. And they're setting all the examples of why this is still the Mirror Universe. I mean... Every single personality in this universe is their counterpart personality. You had Travis Mayweather with a really awesome-looking flat top and an earring, <laughs> right? You have Phlox and you have Reed being the fathers of the agony booth. And, and why is it that the Tellerites get so disrespected in this episode? <laughs> the first person you see in the agony booth being tortured is a Tellerite. And then sooner or later, like in the, the episode, Archer said, well, I'd, I'd have more success sending a squad of Tellerites to do the job instead of you fools. I'm like, wow, <laughs> Tellerites are just getting the short end. Um, so you have Evil Flox, Evil Trip, Evil Malcolm. Then you eventually have, uh, you know, sorry, Evil Trip with the Delta Radiation. You have all of their counterparts, right? And then they drop the actual plot line on you where the, the Tholians of the time did an experiment with a tricobalt missile that, that basically ruptured space, a wormhole. And time. And, and time. And, and then all of a sudden... This is their opportunity to introduce the Tholian web, the episode where the Defiant was lost in interphasic space. I thought that was genius. I was like, Manny Cotto, this is like what you do. This is the right, this is this was the right decision. It was it wasn't a forced story point. Mm -hmm. It was a very logical progression story point. And I thought that was really smart. Yeah. Uh watching Tholian Web again, it uh, there's just a lot of unanswered questions in that episode. And it's kind of like Maybe this is the movie we would have gotten if uh, Harv Bennett had really liked Tholian Webb. Like, well, what happened to the Defiant instead of, you know, what happened to Khan? <laughs> Wrath of the Defiant? I don't know. The, the Defiant Ones? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. no. <laughs> that took me a second. Yeah. I was like, wait, no, no. Yeah, I, I agree that it is really well done. You know, I kind of wish that I would have picked up on it, you know, when I was first watching it. But, you know, going back and looking at it now and piecing it together and especially, you know, like what I did yesterday and today was watch Tholian Webb followed by In a Mirror Darkly. And it is kind of cool. I wish I would have known, you know, because I, like I was saying, I knew that it was a Mirror Universe episode and everything. I wish I would have known that it was also a... Um, sequel to Tholian Web going into it so that I could kind of prepare myself uh, before the thing aired. But uh, I, I, I do think that they did a really good job with it. And 
it I mean that that's part of it because I mean you don't have to do that for this story by any stretch of the imagination but in an episode especially where you're throwing all of this stuff in like everything in part of everything when it comes to Star Trek is this dense mythology with this crazy continuity and all of these weird ass connections which the fans love making and to give that to the fans and say like oh look they're doing that thing that we as fans always talk about them you know trying to do and not doing and failing at and everything like that and saying like why didn't you do that then here they actually do it and uh that's that's pretty cool well it made the most sense too because there were a handful of ships that you that you saw in the original series um and you kind of knew the fate of what happened. I mean, you knew what happened to the constellation. It was eaten by the Doomsday Machine, or Pike. Um, I'm sorry, um, Decker flew it into the Doomsday Machine. Uh, the, the Defiant just Kirk flew it in the Doomsday Machine. Um, you're, you're right, Kirk. Flew it in, yeah, and then he got transported. Out. <laughs> um, and then uh, the, the Defiant just whoosh. It just vanished and without a trace. You know, uh, the Intrepid's crew was all hands were lost because it was you know they were eaten by or killed by a giant space amoeba. Um, the Exeter, everyone turned into salt i think um so <laughs> something like that you know so um in the omega glory so yeah you this was the only one where you could like say okay where did that go because it was it was it was still whole if you will you know there wasn't really anything wrong with the ship per se except for uh, the bits that were kind of scrapped when it was in uh space dock in the tholian asteroid base so it made a lot of sense to be able to pull that asset through time and they'd left all the dead bodies on it from driving each other insane in interspacing space well yeah but including the ones on the bridge which which bothers me like i mean even if you're scrapping it you'd think you'd clear off the bridge first get an idea of what systems are worth you I, know taking apart like i can totally see the tholians being like i mean if i were if i were a tholian and i was going on to a, a a ship full of dead humans i'd be like i'm not touching that you know, <laughs> no, I'll just, you know, kind of reach around here and push this button, but I'm not, I, that's a dead human right there. You know, I'm like that with, you know, like, like, like if, if, if there's like a dead mouse, I'm like, I don't want to touch that, you know? So I can see like the Tholians having the same sort of reaction to these humans, right? Okay. Yeah. Especially Miriam. I'll allow it. Tholians. Um, but okay. Well, a part of, I guess, you know, cause I mean, we're talking about this as in relation to both Mirror Mirror and Tholian Web, but I think that this kind of falls under the Tholian Web side of things. Um, what about, I mean, we talked about it a little bit already, but what about the uh, inclusion of the TOS um, aesthetic and, and the ship and the costumes and all that stuff? How do you guys think, how do you think that it works in this episode, you know, both in terms of story and also in terms of uh, um, effect? Norm? Well, there's a weird inconsistency that happened for me because it was it was an interesting choice why some of the crewmen chose to adopt the 23rd century costumes and why some didn't. Because yeah. Jolene Blaylock looked fantastic in a science officer's uniform, mm -hmm. but... So uh, Hoshi did not choose to put the uniform on, which is like, yeah. okay, so why, why that choice? Um, it was neat to see, I mean, as fans of the original series or in some fans of Star Trek, you know, it's neat to see your characters or characters that you like in the different uniforms. That's just something that we do as fans. I mean, we all loved seeing all the Deep Space Nine crew 
in tri- in um the triples episode in Deep Space Nine, we loved seeing Cisco in the command gold. I mean, it was just cool looking, you know. It, it's or or Dax in the um, security red or operations red. Mm-hmm. Those are just neat things to see as fans. I mean, this is this is very much akin to that episode because that episode was purely a fan service episode. So yeah, but oh, go ahead, Drew. Nah, the characters. I don't, I don't like Mirror Universe episodes. Uh, I mean, I like Mirror Mirror. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I think that that once we get to like Deep Space Nine and stuff, where it's like, look, here's you know Kira. She's Intendant Kira, and she's evil, and she wears leather all the time. And they like keep going to that same well, like, oh, you know, Dax, Ezri, Dax, she's, you know, she's a, a, a leather whip wielding person too. Like everybody, it's just like all the women are, and I'm sure it was fun for the actresses and, and stuff, but it's like the same thing over and over again. Well, I agree to that point. And, and this, this goes back to why I was, I was curious as they made some of these choices in this mere universe, just because Zephram Cochran started this relationship with the Vulcans with an act of violence doesn't necessarily mean everyone becomes a sadist, you know? Right. That's my issue. Yeah. Yeah, Is that everybody is on the same ship. And I know that Max uh, explains, you know, how the, the mirror universe is a mirror and there are a lot of parallels and stuff, but to have the same people on the same ship, but be completely different people. Yeah. Like for Mayweather to have survived long enough to, to get to that point is, is a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> right. No, right. Uh, yeah, it's again, it's one of those things where they're using, they're using the tropes of the mirror universe. Some of which they're trying to improve upon and the, some of which they're just like, Hey, you know what? The fans like this. We'll give them what the fan like. It's, it's, it's like going to a restaurant and it's like, Hey, you know what? We have this really awesome new pizza. And here's, here's a, here's a bite of it. What do you think? It's like, Oh, this is amazing. This is way better than the pizza that I usually get, but it's still like my usual pizza, please. Hmm. You know, so it's just what fans like. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, like like we were saying last week, you know, when we were discussing this, or like I was saying last week when we were discussing this, I, I really do think that there is something to uh, the idea of, I mean, literally, like holding up a mirror to the characters and, and, and the, the concepts and everything that we know and love uh, from the prime universe or whatever you want to call it. And saying like, okay, if we shift this a little bit and make it darker and change things, what that does is it essentially shines a spotlight on the characteristics of the characters that we do know and love and um, makes you sort of think about what it is that makes them who they are um, more. And that, that to me, that there's something beneficial about that. Like, even if there is some story aspects which are uh, maybe a little tricky, to, to me, the effect in terms of, of the storytelling is is very uh, solid and, and, and worthy of, of uh, this portrayal. I don't know. Yeah, but what are you learning about Prime Universe Hoshi, you know, from, from Empress Hoshi, you know, like, uh, you know, that's... Sure, it's the opposite of of the Hoshi that you know. But did you really learn anything about her watching her in her lingerie? I mean, 
I mean, I don't besides the obvious. I, I don't I don't think that that you necessarily learn anything new in terms of like the information which is given. I think what it does is it makes you reflect on what you know. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting thing about Hoshi because it's she was the uh to steal that line from Talia and Batman, she was the slow knife that you don't see. You know, mm-hmm. she moved. She, I mean, she made the progression from captain to captain to captain. Not because, well, for for some obvious reasons, but for the reason of, she was she was very opportunistic, and that is very not who Hoshi is, in the real universe. I mean, Hoshi is she's so underconfident, and um, she she questions her judgment all the time, especially in the first season. I mean, she she even questioned being there. But the Hoshi in this universe, she knew exactly what she was doing and knew exactly what time she needed to strike. And mm-hmm. I, that's why I, th- I thought the end of this, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this, <laughs> I thought the end of that was, that one actually did catch me off guard because I was like, wow, I had no idea that it would have been her. And it was kind of neat to see her and Travis in the end kind of being co-conspirators and an item because those are the two characters who probably benefited the least of any of the crewmen in the four seasons they were always they were actually sometimes less than background characters because they brought in guest stars who had far more to do than they ever did like shran and saval and it was nice to see them kind of like be on top at the end because again as fan service you're like wow hoshi and travis actually get their day and it was kind of neat even if it was in the mirror universe Damn. Okay. So, so Drew, what what did what did you think about uh, the uh, inclusion of of the TOS elements into this well, story? I, I'm I'm always all about seeing. I mean, that's why I love the fan series and stuff. I like seeing the TOS sets. I like seeing. I really like the effects. Uh, the the you know the weapons, the firing, the the more dramatic camera angles as the enterprise you know fires all of its torpedoes at or the defiant fires all its torpedoes at what was the other one the avenger yeah yep which is a cool name but uh i like the shot of the shot that we never got of the the classic next generation shot of here's the ship at warp flying by you know with the streaks and everything and we get that in this episode. We get a Constitution class ship flying by right, with the right. streaks, just like Next Generation. And I, I, I like seeing that, and I think the episode's almost worth it just to have, just to have people poking around on the original series sets and stuff. I think for me, the devil's in the details because when you really take a look uh, at at the production design, the costuming, and the props, for me as a fan of TOS, that's really where this episode really shines, because when you look at the boot daggers, those are, you know, very akin to what they used in the Mirror Universe. Uh, I believe T'Pol gets stripped of her weapons many times, so it was a combination of... Like four times <laughs> She's like, all of a sudden like she turns a corner scenes. and... Here, give me your face pistol and your dagger. So... They take it from her when she leaves the bridge. I know. And then three scenes later, they take it from her when she's back on enterprise it's, or a, a avenger it's when, like, when wait, hoshi what? captures her so but it's neat that they it's neat that they go to those those levels um so you have that you have the costumes and you have there are instances where they even tried to simulate the lighting effects of what they did with the original series there was a scene where trip and another crewman were in a jeffrey's tube 
And you could have sworn that it was just right out of a 1966 or 69 episode because the, the lighting was so dramatic and it was so not modern, not enterprise. So you had those kind of moments. Um, it was always fun to like run around the hallways of a ship because uh, the ship was all stripped out and bare. But I'm going to throw this out there because I need to tack- we need to tackle this in, this in this episode because all the fans are going to ask about the Gorn. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I understand what they were trying to do with that, but that was when in, in earlier on when I said they were overreaching a little bit. This is that moment where I felt that it was way out of their depth to try and do this. Yeah, and I read that they they did squeeze them in there because this is the only opportunity we're going to get to have the Gorn. Yeah, and any opportunity you have to to put a Gorn in your in your uh, movie is a good one, or your TV show is a good one. The one thing that I would say about it is, you know, obviously they were like, well, the original is so low tech and, you know, comical that we need to update it. And the only way you can do that is CGI and everything. And it's like your CGI Gorn looks just as bad as their <laughs> plastic Gorn, only in a different way or your their rubber Gorn, but but only in a, in a different way, you know, and. I mean, in something I, I just I don't I guess I don't quite understand the uh, philosophy of like we're going to embrace this retro style, but we're not going to embrace this one over here. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think they could have found a middle ground, which would have been more effective. Let me ask you this question because I had this discussion with another friend of mine who um, he he uh, he kind of asked me it in a roundabout way. If you saw the Gorn in Enterprise, established as that, as this CGI type of character, would it have been as, you know, as difficult to accept? Because when you're looking at this Gorn as a CGI in the TOS vocabulary, in the TOS visual vocabulary, the contrasts are too extreme because you know what the Gorn looks like in this universe, quote unquote, in this box. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for that, yeah. Right. So now you have everyone trying to accept the fact that you are back in the original series universe, this look, and then you're throwing this higher tech effect in the universe that is the lowest tech possible. So now it's not so much as it is it done so badly, but it's a question of does it belong? And that's what I think was the problem was just that effect does not belong in that vocabulary. And that's the real problem. Hmm. Yeah. I thought we were going to go off on the, you know, the, you know, this one has lizard eyes and is, you know, has more <laughs> of a pronounced snout and stuff, which I I believe you can explain away with they're different species. I mean, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to believe that every single Gorn looks like the guy from Arena. You know, there could be, they could have grunt soldiers or maybe, uh, you know, they yeah, maybe their grunt people are this other species that is more lizard-like, while the commanders are more upright with the the weird mesh eyes. Well, let me put it to you another way. The the Tellarites that were seen in, in the Babel arc, their makeup was just as bad as the Gorn was in the original series. I mean, it was it was, it was just really modestly done, and I'm, I'm saying that kindly. So now when you have the Tellarites that were seen in Enterprise, you're like, okay, that's what Tellarites really should have been. So really, why wouldn't they make that same progression with the Gorn? I think they could have done it in a far more successful way. And because of the way you saw how good the Tellarites were, I think the Gorn would have been accepted if they did it a little bit smartly, more smartly. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about that? I mean, do you, 
for me, it's always about contrast and and the reality of what's happening now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those big things in enterprise when we were watching. We're like, when, how how does this how does this look? How does this look of this really high tech modern, well designed, and obviously trying to bridge this reality between NASA and now? How does that fit when it goes into okay, now we have to put it side by side and sidle up against the original series. I mean, that had you have to agree that that had to be like one of the biggest production challenges they probably faced in this series or probably any series. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those things where you, you do want to be... And I, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have made a prequel series because I know Star Trek fans and I know how much crap i gave it i was like 17 years old and i was like this is terrible this is a terrible idea mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to please anybody and i wasn't even a big star trek fan back then i was just like this is not a good idea you guys but like to have that uh the production value there there's a line where you can push it like the the tellerites and the, the andorians okay right we'll, we'll stick with the Andorians. a good example yeah uh in, in the original series they're just guys with you know obvious paper mache you know, antenna that don't really do anything. But, you know, in this one, they're they're all rotating and radio controlled and, and the makeup's better and it's just more, more of a solid effect. And I think that that you can watch TOS with the, the idea of the, the Enterprise Andorians and being like, okay, I can, if I squint just right, it's the same. It's the same kind of species. And and with the Tellarites, I'm sure it's the same the same kind of way, like, okay, the makeup's a little bit better, but you can imagine that the makeup is like this. But with the Gorn, they're just not the same, which, I mean, maybe they're different species, and I'm sure that you could explain it away as that. But why have the Gorn if it's going to be a different species? Let's, you know, let, let's put the guy in a suit. Let's show what today's makeup effects could do for a lizard man without... Uh, you know, so that we can go back to Arena and be like, okay, if I squint, I can see how this could be a good effect with the modern eye on it. I actually had a different take on what they could have done. And this would have been, I think, probably a little bit more fan service and a little bit more acceptable. Um, I would have liked to have seen a crewman survive the Defiant. Like somehow mm-hmm. or another, he was in an encounter suit or an environmental suit and was able to survive the trip. Well, first of all, survive... The insanity. the insanity of interphasic space, um, and then he got pulled through the wormhole, and he's now and he he's here. So he's trying to do what he needs to do to survive, and then all of a sudden, Archer and his crew are able to uh, escape with the Defiant intact. And now he's trying to figure out what's happening. He knows that there's another threat on board, and he gets captured. And then T'Pol is able to mind meld with him and figure out exactly what happened. I think that would have been an interesting thing, and it would have been uh, it would have been neat to have been able to get a guest starring role. Also, it, it in that. would have it would have flat out explained Mike's problem of you know he him not really under getting the the references to Tholian Web. Mm-hmm. If they flat out said like, oh, you know, we were there's a stress call in Tholian space, and we went and we interfaced through, and right, and that could, that I think that would have been that there all there always are these moments in a story where. It's just a kind of like an exposition information dump. And all of a sudden you see T'Pol just grab this crewman and all of a sudden whoosh, you know, she understands what happened because she would have felt what happened in terms of his insanity through interphasic space 
how he survived, how the ship works, because he probably may have been an engineering officer. He probably would have survived down in the engineering bay. Or mm-hmm. so there are there are so many other opportunities aside from just kind of like throwing in this effect, and they probably would have saved a little bit more money. But throwing this effect that really didn't work that causes more questions and and doesn't answer enough information. I I like that they don't know what happened to the Defiant, and they don't. I mean, like Archer has some ideas that he heard from other people, but I like that they don't know. And I like the info dump that they do have, which is when they, they turn on the computer and look each other up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's this alternate universe version of me do? You know, and Hoshi, who'd you marry? And all that kind of stuff. I, I, I like that scene. I like Archer having that difficulty with, like, what is this, this baby federation? This is stupid. Like, ooh, president of the federation, whatever, stupid alternate universe archer. Well, to you know, to Paul, you know, she was on the side of the rebellion, so maybe it was information that she wouldn't have shared with him that gave her the advantage to give to Saval in order for them to take down the Defiant. So it was just one of those things where it was kind of been, it could have been like that moment for her. But we, we have to touch a little bit on, and I love Scott Bakula, but, but Mirror Universe Archer is the worst. He was heavy handed. He was a little uh, My wife handed. watched the first episode with me last night. Uh, I, I just had it on and she sat down and was like, what is this? I was like, it's a Mirror Universe episode. And she's like, Scott Bakula does not play evil very well. Agreed. She's like, he's a really good, good guy, mm-hmm. but he is really bad at being bad. He just enunciates too hard to be angry. And it's like, no, no, just stop. See, I didn't have a problem with that, you know, given the tone of this episode and the fact that, you know, like I was saying before, it is a comedy as I see it, you know, having an over the top performance like this and in a, a universe, which is known for over the top performances is uh, perfectly valid. You know, I mean, let's not forget about Shatner's mirror Kirk, you know, yeah, I order yeah, you to let me go. Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, why not? There needed so. to be that scene where, you know, Archer may have been in the brig and it's like, to Paul, what would it take to buy you power? <laughs> I can get that for you. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But some of the characters All is actually, forgiven. some of the characters and, and the actors, they slip into the roles pretty well. They're sinister roles. I think that John Billingsley's flocks enjoyed being in that space. Is delightfully evil. Yeah. Like, everybody else is just like, yeah, I'm evil. I'm the evil version of me. But Billingsley's just like, ooh, yeah. I'm evil now. He enjoyed that. I think that um, that Reed, um, you know, he he enjoyed uh, just kind of like slipping into the different skin. I thought Trip was really interesting because I don't think he cared either way. Or, or, or um, Connor. He was like, you know what? I'm just tired of being by this engine. All this thing does is kill me. No one cares if I <laughs> fix it. No one doesn't care if I fix it. All I know is I get yelled at to do something in half the amount of time, and I get absolutely no credit for it. So, mm-hmm. so just like the regular life, like regular trip. <laughs> <laughs> and poor to Paul, you know, a Vulcan's a Vulcan is a Vulcan. So, you know, it, sure she got to show off her midriff, which which prompted my wife to be like, "What did, does the Empire just not have women who?" don't have good stomachs i mean does everybody have to wear a halter top because really not going to be flattering for a lot of women well this 
this kind of I, I wrote a lot of notes actually on the way that the Vulcans were taken, obviously from the beginning. And there are really nice bits and pieces of writing where you see the real turn, the turntable on on the whole humans versus the Vulcans. In in our universe, in the normal universe, humans always felt that they were oppressed, you know, or suppressed by the Vulcans. Like they're not letting us go out into space when we need to. They're always kind of like holding back technology. They're not giving us any respect. They see us as kind of like a subclass. And in this universe, the tables have been turned because that's how the Vulcans feel. It's like we're completely oppressed, even though that we're the far superior race. And it all started from that shotgun blast. And I thought that was a really nice detail in the earlier on in, in the first episode in, in A Mirror Darkly Part 1, where Archer shows to Paul, you recognize this? And it shows he shows her Cochrane's shotgun. He's like, yeah, you know your place. And then he puts it on his wall. And it's those details, like his wall of armaments or his firearms, um, just kind of add that that extra depth to it. The only character that I really thought that really had a turn for the worse was Porthos. Poor Porthos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> well, really quickly, let's touch on it as a as a prequel to Mirror Mirror, because this is where I have had the biggest problem with this episode that I already have a lot of problems with. But the the last bit where Empress Hoshi has the inner, you know, the, the Enterprise, God, the whatever, the Defiant, Defiant, that's it. She's got the Defiant. And she's in orbit of Earth, and she's just like, I have all the power now. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, so if she actually was Empress and, and all this kind of stuff, it doesn't make any sense that with the knowledge of fully functional Constitution-class ships in 2267, they would have an identical Constitution-class ship. Like, once you see the future, like... Back to the future, for example. Once we saw that future, we decided whether or not we were going to head toward that 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 style of future. But they have physical technology from the future. And what do they do with that technology? They don't advance on it at all. In a hundred years, they just now are using it. Because that's my problem, is the mirror enterprise is identical to the regular universe defiant that they've had and been able to take apart for a hundred years and if they like i've heard things like maybe she immediately got overthrown and the defiant got destroyed but still wouldn't you still want to improve on that like i saw that ship but i can do better okay well then how about this um let's let's say that they take the um jj verse approach to time travel and mirror mirror is a season two episode tholian web is a season three episode so mirror mirror plays out like it does tholian web happens the defiant goes back in time to the mirror universe and creates so what we're seeing now is the formation of the i don't know there's a super duper mirror universe Mm -hmm. yeah it's a different timeline so yeah. That would explain, okay, here we go. That's fair that point would too. explain why in the JJ Verse Mirror Universe comics, the Enterprise is the refit. There you because go. they've had the original version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they already knew to See, refit it. It all makes sense. There are no flaws in terms of the continuity of as Star long, Trek. As long as there is a wormhole or some type of tear in the space time continuum, these problems can be solved. Yeah. You know? So there you go. I'm. Everything's redeemed. Now, I mean, the big question is, how does this all tie into Deep Space Nine? You know, where nah, which no timeline are it we doesn't. in, and blah blah blah. But you know, whatever. 
figure that out later on. Well, that's just the orb of the orb of time is just it's just wreaking havoc on all of us. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll we'll leave we'll leave the orb the the podcast the orb to figure that one out. We'll know. set the challenge over to Christopher and Matthew. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I do, I do have one last thing though, and it's I I think I brought this on when we were we were kind of like getting going over our notes, but Vulcan facial hair. Dot dot dot. Yeah. You know, it's funny because there were there was an instance where. Paul was going to free Captain Forrest from the brig and she was flanked by two other Vulcan officers which I thought was really cool those Vulcan males did not have facial hair however oh. the two major characters in the mirror universe that are Vulcan that are male Saval in this episode Spock in the original mirror mirror episode both had facial hair and I think I have a theory about this and and and, and correct me uh, if I'm completely off the rails here but I think that because of what we know how humans treat Vulcans in this universe, in the mirror universe, facial hair for me always has been explained away as Vulcans just don't see the logic in it. They don't see the aesthetic value in it. They don't see the practical value in it. That's the way the Vulcans are. But I think that in some way, the humans are like, you know what? I want to make you as physically uncomfortable as I possibly can. And every single morning you have to wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and re- and be reminded of who is in charge so it's like a sign of slavery yeah it's like, it's basically their scarlet a huh you know but it I is i like it it is it is a way that like you know what we we can't we're not going to beat on you cuz we're not that savage we're not going to throw you in the agonizer for this we're going to do something that gets to you gets to the very core of your being every day we're going to basically force you to deal with the logic of the situation on a daily basis every minute every time you scratch your face or look at yourself in your mirror every time you see a photograph of yourself you're going to see that that is not the person you are supposed to be yeah it's interesting and 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 it also forces them if you force them i mean if they grow a beard there's not much maintenance to that but like keeping a goatee you've got to shave everything around it and and like form it so that it's it's you know formed well so yeah yeah, I like it. And to Paul with her long hair, she never had long hair, so maybe that's one of those things. The maintenance of doing that is just that there's no logic to this. There's no logic to this aesthetic at all. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, hmm. you know, so that th- there's just uh, something for everyone to chew on out there. I like it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, Norm, where can people find you talking not about TOS all the time? Well, you can find about other things. Well, you can find me here on the network as one of the hosts for Warp Five, the uh, the dedicated Trek FM Enterprise show, along with Will Wynn, our content manager for Trek FM. Then you can find me on Twitter at Norman Lau. That's N O R M A N L A O. And then I'm always on the Babel Conference, as as many of well know. So that's the Babel Conference on Facebook, our dedicated Facebook listeners page. And I'm a proud supporter of Alec Peters and the Axnar Project. And you can find me on their fan group page on Facebook as well. Cool. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, yeah, you're you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, guys. It was a huge pleasure. Thanks, and it was a lot of fun, and and I I loved listening to your show. You guys do a great job. Oh, well, thanks. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, it was fun having Norman to talk about Enterprise and In a Mirror Darkly. Uh, good good stuff there. Yeah, for sure. I hope to have him on again. Yeah, be sure to check out Warp Five for more on his thoughts on Enterprise. Uh, but Mike, I understand that there uh, there's been uh, more sad news. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, Star Trek creator has passed away. This time, 
James Horner, who wrote the music for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Um, it's, uh, he's, he won a couple Oscars for Titanic. He was nominated mm-hmm. for like 10 more Oscars for various movies, including uh, Aliens, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Field of Dreams, um, American Tale. You know that song that's somewhere yeah. out yeah, there? Yeah, I'm his. familiar with that it. That was his, you know? He's he's crazy, crazy, insanely uh, important to the world of film music. I, I actually uh, looked him up on iTunes. Like, what else did he do? And it just never ended. Yeah. I could not reach the bottom of his discography. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, just thought we should mention that you know especially since he was a tos creator and everything um but yeah he'll be missed yeah we'll have an episode about him in a few weeks yeah but enterprise and james horner is not all we've been talking about today that's just one of the trek topics we've been talking about on trek of him this week here's a quick look what you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit and I'm wondering if it's because the comic book writers didn't understand what the filmmakers were doing or whether it was because <laughs> the comic book writers wrote themselves into a corner or whether it was because the comic book writers wanted to open their stories up to more possibilities. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. <laughs> I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. This year, opening for five-year mission is Del Rock. Del Rock. Del Rock. They'll rock your world. Bajoran style. The ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard and he's like, hey, what up? To the journey! My question is, what would Janeway have in place of banana pancakes? Because that's Bolana's thing. Would Janeway's be coffee ice cream? I was just about to say coffee ice cream. (laughs) my, My lips... My lips were forming the syllables to say coffee ice cream. <laughs> Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that the future guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. I know that both of us will come out of it okay, but <laughs> since Matthew... He's not used to sparring with either of us. I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club. The 602 Club. You know, that's Bryce Dallas Howard's decision. She wanted to do that. She made the decision that the the character wouldn't get out of these heels. Which to me said, this character has changed some. Like, she has learned some things, but there are some things about her that are not going to change. Literary Treks. You know, Bajor getting through the occupation with its faith and this faith kind of coming back in Cardassia and helping them kind of get through, you know, their darkest hour. Yeah, I definitely do like kind of how it's come full circle. Axanar, the official podcast. I tried different action figures. Uh, I tried Black Widow. I tried the Black Widow from uh, uh, the, the Hot Toys Black Widow. Too small. 
It wouldn't work with really? the other action. Yeah, it didn't didn't photograph quite. But, but tell everyone why you're photographing action for you. Women at Warp. So she definitely knows cats. I say that right off the bat. She knows cats and bones. Yes, definitely. Of course, bones would get annoyed with all the cat fur. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, or you can just stream from the website. You can go to Trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. We have an email that you got and you forwarded to me. Yeah. From Mark. Mark from NYC says, Mike and Drew, I'll write a more in-depth discussion of the topic later, but while I'm at work, just to give you a little nugget to chew on regarding mirror universes and alternate timelines in Star Trek. 1. It appears to me that an alternate universe is created, for example, the JJ-verse, if someone or something moves back through time, changing the past and hence altering the future of that prime universe. Please note that I'm using linear time, which is how we think, rather than how time is perceived by the prophets or others. So think of an alternate timeline as a splintered-off universe to our own. Yep. Two. However, in so-called mirror universes, people act differently than they do in all the prime universes, not because of some event or person changing history, but because their very natures are different. Take the original Mirror Mirror episode. People are all mean, aggressive, angry, evil people. All of them. It's their nature. It's not like, but for a certain event taking place that all be prime universe people. No, their base nature is different. Even Vulcans, while still logical, are more aggressive, cunning, and selfish. Even short-tempered. That's not because some event in the past was different than our past. That's a whole different way of being. There is no one event that could have splintered off a universe where everyone is evil. Please don't read monster when I say evil. Just that the balance between our good Kirk side and our bad Kirk side has shifted far over to the bad side. So a mirror universe is not the same as an alternate timeline, in my opinion. Thoughts? Mark from NYC. I, I think that that is a pretty good analysis. You know, it seems to make sense to me. You know, it explains why uh, the events in, you know, the JJ-verse are similar but not identical to the Prime Universe and why the, the Mirror Universe is so different despite events not being tremendously different. So I'd, I'd say that that's, that's a pretty solid analysis. Agreed. Yeah. Well, let's tell everyone where they can contact us. If they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show, they can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars, and you can also find me on my own show, CommentaryTrackStars.com, on my own website. That's it. My own show is Commentary Track Stars Off Topic and Commentary Track Star Babies, and uh, yeah, we talk about whatever we want over there. It's yes, fun. you do. Yes. It is fun. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and uh, quite frequently on Off Topic recently. Yeah, Drew's going to be on an upcoming episode, or maybe, well, no, it will be an upcoming episode, and we also have Andy 
uh, coming on to a couple episodes. So awesome! Yeah, yeah. We talk about um, Mad Max Fury Road and other stuff. So check that out. <laughs> I bet it's interesting. Does she let loose? She lets loose. You get to hear, you know, Andy. You know, uh, un- uncensored, uncensored Andy. Andy, oh. Andy, unplugged. She she swears and everything. It's great. <laughs> Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive and Federation, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what did you find for everyone? Well, you know, those two books, Prime Directive and Federation, were both written by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, who, Mm -hmm. you know, got their their start in Star Trek writing novels like that, but then became writers on Enterprise. So I thought maybe we could take a look at Star Trek Prime Directive, which was written by the two of them and narrated by James Doohan. It's two hours and 57 minutes long, and it says, James Kirk's failure to obey the Prime Directive has reduced a planet to a post-nuclear horrorscape. Again. Or is a far more sinister force at work because, God forbid, we be responsible for um, reducing Kirk to make a mistake. No, featuring a dramatic reading by James Doohan and enhanced with sound effects and an original score. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. We'd also like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. and Renee Roberts for being our associate producers this week by supporting us on Patreon. You can find Richard on Twitter at RUT8972 and Renee at MRES underscore 1701. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Yes, we do appreciate it. And if you want to join them in keeping us in orbit, you can also support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as associate producer in our shows. You'll also find out where the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. Well, next week, we're going to conclude our uh, coverage of the Mirror Universes by uh, talking about the prequel to In a Mirror Darkly, which is Tholian Web. Yeah. So prepare your Blu-rays or DVDs or streaming devices for that. Yeah, get to see that whole season three goodness all over again. <laughs> Someday we'll stop talking about season three. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.